Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here, and welcome to episode number 50 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, Megan, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. Megan Slaker earned a Bachelor of Arts in Biology from Bethany College and a PhD in Neuroscience from Washington State University. She is a postdoctoral fellow at the Medical College of Wisconsin focusing on addiction research and has a passion for making science accessible to all audiences. She is also very involved in Toastmasters. Welcome to the show, Megan. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Well, thanks for having me today. I'm excited to be able to share some of my insight and knowledge of being in a STEM career. I'm glad you could make it, Megan. And so let's dig in here. So you are our first biology major and also our first PhD in neuroscience. Could you help STEM Nation understand a little bit more about what you can do with a biology undergraduate degree to start? A biology undergraduate degree is, in my opinion, one of the most versatile degrees you can have. It sets you up for a whole gamut of potential career opportunities. I know a lot of my fellow biology students are in medical school or dental school, uh, went to PT school, so they're physical therapists, they're occupational therapists, anything in the health realm you could go into, whether that's public health or actually working with patients. Um, I took the research side of things, so instead of doing more clinical work and working in the health side of it, I went the biomedical research route where I'm helping to lay that foundation of what we don't know so that our health and medical practices can be better. So you talked about biology and and being kind of a launch pad. Can you have a successful career with just an undergraduate in biology, or do you think you need to move on and get maybe a master's, even a PhD following that? It definitely depends on what you want to go into. If you like doing research, just having a biology undergraduate degree, you can get in as a laboratory technician at a lot of places. There are opportunities with master's degrees. There are opportunities with PhDs. It really just depends on what it is that you want your end goal to be. And it's important to know and to look into what those opportunities are. So that way, when you're getting your degree, when you're done, you know whether depending on what endpoint you want, if you need more schooling or not. Thanks for that, Megan. And so let's now go into neuroscience, which you've got a PhD in, and focusing on addiction. Could you help STEM Nation understand what you do with that type of degree? I do basic research at the Medical College of Wisconsin with that. The addiction realm is incredibly fascinating to me because there's so much we don't know. And the therapies that exist for addiction are lacking. They're confusing. There's no real standard. Uh, If you look at the pharmaceutical market for treating addiction, there are few options and most of them aren't great. So trying to understand what is going on in the brain during the process of addiction, whether it's the transition from drug use to drug abuse, whether it's relapse, There's just so much we don't know. So my job is to conduct those basic research experiments and try to figure out what's actually happening in the brain during these processes. So then in the future, we can come up with better therapies. So what are some things that you've actually uncovered in your research? As a graduate student, we were looking at, in the brain, there are a number of different cell types. 
The main ones everyone thinks of are neurons. These are the cells that communicate to each other and really are what people, researchers traditionally thought were the action cells in the brain. We now know that's not necessarily the case. The glia are support cells that also play a very important role in the functioning of the brain. But more recently, people are realizing that it's not just the cells in the brain that are important, but all of the, the structures and the compounds that are around the neurons are also incredibly important. So as a graduate student, I was looking at how this extracellular matrix contributes to the formation and the maintenance of memories that are associated with addiction. And we found that if you disrupt this extracellular matrix, you can actually weaken the connections of those neurons and dampen the memory, which was a really exciting finding and is leading to a whole slew of new research. So what type of research are you focusing on right now at the Medical College of Wisconsin? The research that I'm working on now at the Medical College of Wisconsin is trying to understand what cells in the brain are important for addiction and are responsible for how we experience different sorts of rewards. So as you're conducting this research, what does your day-to-day activity look like? My day-to-day activities are varied, and I absolutely love that. I can go into work on a Monday or whatever day of the week and think about all of the tasks that I need to get done, and I have an enormous amount of flexibility in how I get those done. Every day I do behavior experiments because we're studying addiction. It's not something you can study in a day. It's something that takes time for the animals to learn and then for us to examine and study. So I do behavior experiments. I then do more cellular and molecular work that is more traditional bench work. I get to use really cool microscopes to look at brain slices. I get to do data analysis. can use different software to help me analyze my data. I get to make graphs and figures. I write papers. I write grants. I get to mentor students. So when we have undergraduates or new graduate students come into the lab, I get to help train them and teach them what we're doing. I can... I need to stay up to date on what other researchers are doing, what we know and what we still don't know. So I get to read literature and any combination of all of these things is what my typical day can look like. If I don't think I'm going to be productive sitting at my desk, I can be back in the lab doing my bench work. And if I really think I'm going to have a great day reading, then I can focus more on being at my desk and on a computer. So Megan, do you does this require a PhD to do what you're doing, or could you do this in with an undergrad degree or a master's degree? In our lab, I have a PhD, and I have more responsibility because of that. I've been trained to think like a scientist and to be a scientist. While I have the PhD, we have a graduate student in our lab who is working on their PhD who has very similar Uh, expectations and requirements as me. But we also have lab technicians in our labs who have bachelor's degrees in biology or psychology that are able to do the research, they're able to still read the papers, but they're not necessarily required to write papers or write grants or secure their own funding. So they're still able to be in the realm of doing biomedical research, but the expectations are 
slightly different depending on what degree you have. So Megan, if somebody in STEM Nation, you're, you're located in Milwaukee, is interested in, in getting more insights to what you do, would you be open to somebody connecting with you on LinkedIn and maybe scheduling an appointment and, and see what you actually do? Yeah, definitely. It's a great opportunity to come in and see a lab and hear about what's going on and a great way to figure out if it's something you'd be interested in pursuing or going into. STEM Nation, you can check out the show notes. You can connect with Megan on LinkedIn. And if you're interested and you're in the Milwaukee area, check it out. And Megan, what is one thing that really has you fired up about neuroscience or research or anything in general? I love that we don't know so much about the brain. If we think about any other organ in the body, we kind of have it figured out. But with the brain, it's still a black box. It's still a mystery. Every time we think we've answered a question, it just leads to 10 more. And I love that there are always questions. There are always things that we can be asking and new techniques to help answer questions in new ways. So it's just it's an exciting field to be in because it still is relatively young and there's still so much we don't know. What What's one thing that we should know about the brain that you don't think most people know? It has an amazing ability to change and adapt. I grew up thinking that once you get into adulthood, once you're 18, your brain is done developing and that is not the case. There are regions of the brain that are still being developed even well into your 20s. And even as an adult, you have an amazing ability in your brain to change and to learn new things. And if you continually do that, it will continually be able to do that. But once you stop learning new things, then it makes it even harder to start doing it again. Is there anything that we can do, think of a STEM nation, right, juniors and seniors in high school, that we could do either through nutrition or other types of training that would help help stimulate the brain, help it to work better? There's a whole realm of people that are looking at how food communicates with the brain and impacts the brain. And unfortunately, I don't know that realm incredibly well. I know having a healthy diet is incredibly important. And two of the best things that you can do to keep your brain happy and healthy are exercise and sleep. All right, there you go, STEM Nation. Exercise and sleep, probably two things that don't often happen in college. (laughs) (laughs) And Megan, we're going to go to an aha moment. If you could take us to a moment of time of an incredible aha moment you've had at work or your personal life, and tell us a story and how you turn that aha moment into success. When I started graduate school, I felt incredibly behind and that I wasn't ready for grad school. I wasn't qualified to be there. Everyone knew more than I did. Later, I found out there's an actual condition called imposter syndrome, and I very much had that. One of my first days in the lab that I ended up staying in to do my PhD work, um, I was watching one of our lab technicians do a technique. Um, We were doing some surgery on some animals, and I felt like I was going to pass out. I had to leave the room because I legitimately felt like I was going to pass out. I remember walking back to my apartment and I called my dad and was crying because I didn't think I could handle graduate school. I couldn't handle science. It wasn't cut out for me. And he calmed me down and told me it was my first day and I needed to cut myself some slack. I'd never seen this before. I'd never experienced this before. And if I go back the next day and I still have the same problem, try it again. And just take deep breaths and cut yourself some slack. It was It's fine to be overwhelmed at first, but then deep breaths and just go for it. 
So the next day I went back and I was able to watch the entire procedure. I didn't pass out. And slowly over time, I found myself actually doing these techniques. And it was that aha moment of realizing that even when I got overwhelmed, just take deep breaths and go for it. You can accomplish a lot of things that you didn't think you could if you set your mind to it and you work in increments, you work in baby steps. Yeah, the imposter syndrome that a lot of people have that when they're doing things where it's like, you know, I, I'm not an expert in this. I'm, I'm not the one that should be doing it. But you know what? Just go do it anyway and, and just eliminate that imposter syndrome and just, just focus on what you're doing and, you know, try to be successful at it. And if you talk about imposter syndrome, think about me as a podcaster, right? I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the most intelligent, but I'm just trying to add value to the world by doing this podcast, and I feel like an imposter all the time. And the funny thing about it is most people that you interact with don't even think about that. Like I was talking to my advisor in graduate school about imposter syndrome. She's like, I never got that from you. You're competent. You're capable. You know what you're doing. You seem so confident. It's like, I don't feel like it. She's like, it doesn't matter <laughs> because you're still doing it. And if you keep, if the imposter syndrome keeps you from trying things or keep you, keeps you from doing things, that's when it's a really big issue. You use it to work harder or to fuel that drive to keep going then it can be a good thing. Yeah, absolutely, Megan. I agree. And I, th I think the imposter syndrome, when you think about it, it, it's it's an uncomfortable situation. And if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not growing. So you want to be in that uncomfortable situation in, in a lot of times, right? Just to continue growing. And part of that is the imposter syndrome. Yep. So Megan, going back to when you're roughly 18, heading off to college, what are some things that you think would help STEMers launch into college successfully? One of the big things during college that I wish I would have done more of was trying new things. College is a great time to enjoy the freedom of being able to pick your own coursework, to pick class times that work better for whether you want to sleep in or wake up really early. And you don't have to be super set on what it is that you wanted to do. Like, I knew that I love science. I wanted to go into science. I took a lot of science and math classes. But I also like to read. So I ended up taking an intro to fiction course that met one night a week. And basically, we went into the room and our instructor would read us short stories for three hours. It was one of the funnest classes that I took. It had nothing to do with anything I do now. But it was that freedom of trying something different and getting out of your comfort zone and just enjoying the time that college has to offer. Megan, why do I have a feeling that you took that class because it was an easy A? <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> maybe yeah no you got to take some of those classes they're fun you know it, it makes you think a little bit differently gets you out of all the deep thinking math and science and you need to go try different things so that's awesome megan and we're going to take a quick pause and thank our sponsor audible who's offering a free audiobook you can head over to stemonfirebook.com that's stemonfirebook.com to get a free audiobook of your choosing if you decide to cancel within 30 days there's no cost and you keep the audiobook Megan, are you ready for the lightning round? Ooh, I think so. All right. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? If you don't take time to care for you, no one will. And what's a personal habit that contributes to your success? Time management. And how do you handle time management? I like to schedule and plan out most of my days on a Monday. First thing I do when I get into work on Monday is I figure out what I need to get done that week and I plan it out. 
I overestimate how much time things will take me. So that way, if something extra comes up, I don't feel behind that I didn't get everything I wanted to done. Because if I end up getting done earlier, I can just add something else in. Absolutely. Do that weekly review. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite internet resource or phone app? Probably Twitter. It sounds a little weird, but I found that Twitter is a fantastic resource for professional development and in a STEM career. You don't have to use it for, well, I don't use my Twitter for personal means, but I follow other scientists. I follow the National Institute of Health. I follow uh, neuroscience news. And it's a way that I can get professional development advice. I can get career advice. I can get an update on what sort of research is going on. And I can connect with other people doing similar research. Helps you feel like you're not alone. And there's this giant community all on Twitter that is just waiting for you. And do you have a Twitter feed? I do. My Twitter handle is at neuro underscore Meg. All right. Check out the show notes and subscribe to Megan on Twitter and see what she's working on. And what's one book you would recommend? For a professional time management book, I really enjoyed 168 Hours by Laura Vanderkam. But I also love non I love fiction books and as a great escape, the Mistborn series by Brandon Sanderson is one of my favorites. There you go, Stem Nation. You can check those out in the show notes. And Megan, as we wrap up here, can you share a parting piece of guidance for Stem Nation? And then we will say goodbye. The best guidance I can give you, especially starting out, whether you're in high school or starting college, is that it's okay not to know. It's okay if you don't know what you want to do with the rest of your life or what career you want to go into. Take the time to explore different options. See if it's really what you want to do. Find that good fit. And even if you find a good fit and 10 years down the line, it's no longer a good fit, it's okay to change your mind. Absolutely, Megan. And with that, we will say goodbye. Thanks for listening. All right. Thanks, Megan. I hope you enjoyed all the value that Megan provided in the podcast interview. You can head over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player and share it with a friend. Tune in next week. We talk with Chris, who is a field applications engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.